This recording begins with a reading of the Gospel of the Day. That will be followed by the homily from Father Paul O'Brien. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. John the Baptist appeared preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was of him that the prophet Isaiah had spoken when he said, A voice of one crying out in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. At the time, at that time, Jerusalem, all Judea, and the whole region around the Jordan were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they acknowledged their sins. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce good fruit as evidence of your repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God can raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Even now the axe lies at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I am baptizing you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is mightier than I. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The Gospel of the Lord. We are beginning the second week of Advent to recap what we discussed last week. In three weeks from now, God is, based on experience, we know, going to offer the real grace of the Christmas season to this world. It's not just a good remembrance that the Savior of the world was born 2,000 years ago or a celebration of that truth. It is a real season of grace to people who want to be open to and accept that grace. The grace is somehow, mysteriously but really, the rebirth of Jesus within us, within us individually, in this world, within us as a church. I hope last week you just asked yourself the basic question, do you want Jesus to be reborn in you? I believe that for most of us, the answer is clearly yes. If you don't want that grace, please reconsider. There's something quite wrong. Advent is purely the season of preparing for the coming of that grace. The goal is to be maximally open to that grace so that when it comes, we can receive it and cooperate with it and have it unfold in our lives. Each Sunday, we're invited to come to church and to hear in the scripture clear presentations of people preparing for the coming of Jesus and to do whatever they do this year to prepare for the coming of this grace. So last week, hopefully you worked with us, we were invited to consider the second coming of Jesus at the end of time, and based on St. Paul's letter to the Romans, we were invited to do two things, throw off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. I do know a lot of people in this community worked on that this week. Week one, now we begin week two. 
So the coming we're invited to consider from the scripture this week is the coming of the adult Jesus at the beginning of his public ministry into the lives of people who are hoping for a savior. The church invites us through those readings first, from that first reading, to consider what our Jewish ancestors are hoping for 2,000 years ago and for many generations before. So the first passage was from Isaiah 11. Isaiah lives in the 8th century before Christ. He's one of God's most powerful prophets who speaks continually about this coming of a Messiah. Isaiah and other faithful Jewish people at his time are absolutely sure, and they're right, that they are part of God's chosen people. The Jewish people have had more of God revealed to them than any other people on this planet to that point. He's highly aware that about 250 years before this, God gave a prophecy through the prophet Nathan to the great King David that David's throne would last forever. Isaiah and other people at his time have every good reason to question that prophecy because they have become very corrupt. Instead of focusing on God and holding up their part of God's covenants, God enters into their lives generation after generation. God invites them to respond. They have become untrue to these covenants. So the people of Israel have lost a lot of their former glory They're very powerfully threatened by outside enemies, and their leaders have, to a large extent, lost their nerve because they freely have turned away from living in God. The power they've had in the past is because they have lived in God. And this is seen in the way, commonly at this time, Jewish people are living. Instead of being true to God, which is always unfolded in care, particularly of people who are in need, many of them are quite self-centered. They're greedy. They're self-indulgent. They're sinful. And it's manifested in their common injustice toward poor people, economically poor people, all kinds of vulnerable people. So in the midst of this real situation. In the passage we just heard, God gives Isaiah, and through him, the Jewish people, a vision of the future. The vision is that a shoot will sprout from the root, the, the uh, stump of Jesse. Jesse is David's father. So a person, it's going to come out of that family line in the future who is going to be a king and he's going to be a messiah, meaning a savior for the Jewish people, and ultimately in this passage, for the entire world. This future king messiah, the spirit of the Lord is going to be upon him. The spirit, I always forget this passage, and I want to be sure I give it to you clearly. Not pathetic, this is a sign of age. The spirit of wisdom and understanding a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. This person is going to have God's spirit, it sounds like completely dwelling in him. He is going to judge justly as opposed to being a corrupt leader. He'll strike the ruthless with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips, He'll slay the wicked. 
He will defeat evil through justice and faithfulness. So this is who this future Messiah King is going to be. And as a result of his coming, people who are so sinful and corrupt are going to be changed. People who to date have been terrible enemies, destroying one another, are going to change and they're actually going to live in harmony with one another. Things that have been threatening and destructive in people's lives are somehow going to be removed by people's becoming part of this king's kingdom. There will be no harm or ruin in this kingdom. The earth, meaning people, will be filled with knowledge of the Lord. And as a result of this, this king and his kingdom, the people who are part of this kingdom, the Gentiles, meaning non-Jewish people, all the nations will see them as a signal because his kingdom will be glorious. I really invite you to reread that this week. If you are a Christian, which I hope we all are, or most of us are, I mean, it's pretty hard to deny the inspiration of scripture when you read that from the 11th century before Christ, 8th century rather before Christ. I mean, it's just perfectly, completely describing Jesus. If I were a faithful Jewish person, reading that 11th chapter of Isaiah, hearing it, I would say, I can't wait for this person to come. I wonder who he's going to be, and I wonder who he, when he will be. I think I'd be wondering, is this possible? Is it possible, given the failure of all of our kings, that this kind of person would ever come? And I know I would ask, even if he comes and is all of this, how is it that people are going to change? Our track record is very bad as a fallen, sinful human race. If he comes, God is not going to take away our freedom. How is that kingdom going to take place? Because people would somehow have to cooperate with whatever he is, whoever he is, and what he brings. You following me here? Thank you. Thank you. You get 10 points this morning. All right. He just had a stroke, but I'll take it as an affirmation. So, uh, Matthew 3. Go right to the gospel reading. So, Matthew 3, the figure here is John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, who is the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's the final prophet. He's the perf- person who says that long-awaited Messiah is here. He's coming right now. And he also points him out, behold the Lamb of God, when Jesus begins his public ministry. John the Baptist is telling people to prepare for the coming of this Messiah right now. I hope you get this. If you are preparing for the coming of Jesus in the grace of the Christmas season, enter into this and just do what he tells people to do. I hope this will sound familiar. Two things, just like last week. The first thing he tells people to do is repent, just like last week. He tells people to turn away from their sin, to acknowledge that they are sinful, to reject their sin, and to say, for real, I am going to live a new life in God, to truly reject your sin. And his emphasis in here is you must actually do it. There are some religious leaders who come, so a lot of people actually do it. John the Baptist is out in the desert at the Jordan River. 
People come out and they do not what Jesus ultimately gives us through the sacrament of baptism, where he does free us of our sins. They're doing something symbolic and real. They enter into this water in public. They say, I am a sinner. I acknowledge I'm a sinner. This ritual of going into the water is that I want to be cleansed of my sins. And when I come out of the water, it's like dying. When I come out, I'm saying in public and I'm saying to God, I am going to live a new life. He sees that there are certain religious leaders who are in this crowd coming forward for the baptism and he calls them out. You brood of vipers. That's not neither here nor there. You wicked people, evil people. You are going through the motions. You are saying, because I'm a Jewish person, a child of Abraham, somehow I'm going to be part of this. You're somehow thinking, if I'm in this crowd and grace comes, that somehow it's going to come into me. You are not doing that. You must truly repent of your sins. Number two. So, gentle question. Last week we all left here saying, I'm going to throw off the works of darkness. To what extent did you actually do that this past week? Secondly, he says to them, produce good fruit as evidence of your repentance. This is clear from the scripture. Producing good fruit in the scripture is living God's love for real in this world, living his love and changing things. By living his love, producing fruit is, I must be able to show tangible evidence that I'm doing his work. My holiness is not in my head. It's not something I say to you. It's something that produces good fruit on this planet. Produce good fruit as evidence of your repentance. Same thing as last week. He is riled up about this. It's partially his personality. He's a wild person. It's partially the corruption of the people who are still going through the motions. But also when you read that passage more deeply, John the Baptist already has a sense that there is a final judgment connected with this Messiah. This is it. The axe is at the root of the trees, he says. All the trees that don't produce good fruit are going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. He's got another image. This Messiah is going to clear his threshing floor. The wheat, the good fruit, meaning people, he's going to collect into his barn. But the chaff, the worthless stuff, he's going to burn in unquenchable fire. I don't think John the Baptist can understand this. He knows it in his soul. This Messiah is coming to offer salvation, and ultimately the choice is for eternal salvation, eternal life, or eternal death. So hopefully, let me pull this together. Let me land this plane. You and I should understand this much better than John the Baptist because we know Jesus turns out to be the Messiah. And we know how salvation unfolds. So backing up to Isaiah, that prophecy about that Messiah is completely every single detail true. Isaiah is describing Jesus Christ. The question I mentioned before how is that going to change people is that he comes out in public, he enters into people's lives, and he tells them to do exactly what John the Baptist tells them. Reread this this week. John the Baptist, Matthew 3, repent 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 4, Jesus' first ministry words, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When the Messiah comes 2,000 years ago, when he comes in the grace of this Christmas season, he invites people to turn away from sin. Our sin and God will never harmonize. Sin and God are antithetical. If you and I do not repent of our sin, he will not force his way past it. He wants to forgive it, to remove it, but he cannot coexist with it forever. When Jesus comes, he invites people to choose to change their lives, to produce good fruit, to learn his love, and to put it into practice, to live like him, to speak, to love, to sacrifice, to live like him day by day. The way Isaiah's vision unfolds in people is they repent and they become faithful followers of Jesus. So if I want that grace of Christmas 2022 to unfold in my life, I have no idea what it's going to mean, but it is going to mean turning away from sin and becoming more faithful to Jesus. If I start to do that in these weeks leading to Christmas, I am going to be so much more open to doing it through the grace of Christmas. If right now I say I'm really not interested in that, sure, send me some salvation, but I really have no intention of repenting or producing good fruit, why would I ever think that I'm going to do it through the grace of Christmas any more than that brood of vipers 2,000 years ago? This is completely good news, and I will shut up. If you want the grace of Christmas to unfold in your life, you don't need a dime. You don't need any clothing. You don't need a beautifully decorated house. If you want Jesus Christ to be reborn in you, you do not have to be smart. You do not have to be theologically advanced. You, in fact, don't even have to be holy. If you want the true Christmas to unfold in you and hopefully in this world through you, you don't need thunderclaps. You don't need movement. You don't need mystical experiences. You don't need anything that you don't already have. You need to repent and you need to produce good fruit as evidence of your repentance this week, starting now. You have been listening to Father Paul O'Brien, pastor of St. Patrick Parish in Lawrence, Massachusetts. For more information about the parish and to get involved, please go to stpatrickparish.com or follow us on social media. Thank you for listening.